0: We have inherited a big house, a great world house, in which we have to live together, black men and white men, Easterners and Westerners, Gentiles and Jews, Catholics and Protestants, Muslims and Hindus, a family unduly separated in ideas, cultured, and interests, who, because we can never again live without each other, must learn somehow in this One big world house to live with each other.
1: Welcome to The World House, a podcast inspired by Martin Luther King Jr. and his vision of a just and peaceful world. I'm Dr. Claiborne Carson, director of the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute here at Stanford.
2: And I'm Dr. Mira Foster, director of the Liberation Curriculum, our educational program here at the King Institute. We are about one week from the presidential election of 2020, and we would like to share with you a recording that's not just timely, but also relevant.
0: Suffice it to say that we stand in one of the most momentous periods of human history. And in these days of emotional tension, when the problems of the world are gigantic in extent and chaotic in detail, all men of goodwill must make the right decisions. And on Tuesday, one week from today, the people of this nation must decide whether they want America to remain true to the great words of the Founding Fathers, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We must decide whether those words will be firmly etched into the structure of our nation or whether we will allow our nation to be relegated to a second-rate power in the world with no moral voice. We must decide next Tuesday whether America will take the high road of justice and peace and compassion for the poor and underprivileged, or whether this nation will tread the low road of man's inhumanity to man of injustice of short-sightedness. Each of us has a moral responsibility if we are of voting age and if we are registered to participate in that decision. I come here to urge every person <clears throat> under the sound of my voice to go to the polls on the 3rd of November and vote your conviction. Now, I know you're intelligent, people, and I don't need to tell you who you should vote for. I don't have any fear about that. You know who to vote for. I'm just asking you to vote. Now, just if you need, very seriously, never before in the history of our nation, as a candidate for the presidency, taken such a negative stand, on the demands of our Judeo-Christian heritage for justice and understanding goodwill and compassion for the poor and peace and so all men of goodwill will go to the polls on November the 3rd and I hope we will have a great day in our nation so that when we wake up on the 4th of November we will know that America has made the right decision.
2: Clay, could you provide some context for this speech?
1: Well, Martin Luther King was very much involved in the 1964 campaign, and he would later write about this. And and I, I think I, I can just quote from his statements about the importance of the 1964 election. He says that uh, the Republican Party had taken a giant stride away from its Lincoln tradition, and the results of election day illustrate how tragic this was for the two-party system in America. Those who sought to turn back the tide of history suffered in that election a bitter defeat, and in the process degraded themselves and their party in a manner seldom witnessed on on our national political scene. I think that King could see the significance of the 1964 election in the sense that uh, the White South was moving away from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, setting up a, a division that is still apparent in American politics.
2: I would like to go a step back and maybe talk about the two candidates and specifically about Barry Goldwater. Why was Barry Goldwater as a candidate for the Republican Party such a step back for the civil rights movement?
1: Well, Barry Goldwater was a very conservative candidate, but I think most importantly for Martin Luther King, he had expressed reservations about the legality Of the civil rights legislation that uh, Lyndon Johnson had passed and also he was the candidate largely because the white South and the Democrats uh, who um, had supported the Democratic Party were beginning to abandon the party and go over to the Republican side.
2: I think it may not be apparent why this is such a big deal that that the South, the white South will now no longer be democratic, but would change to the Republican side.
1: Well, I think before the 1964 election, the Democratic Party had been held together as this uneasy coalition between Northern liberals and Southern Democrats who were much more conservative. And uh, it had always been difficult to hold that together. One of the ways in which it held together was that the Democratic Party was reluctant to move into the area of civil rights because they knew that that was going to cost them Southern support. And Southerners in Congress were able to stop legislation by using the filibuster in which they could um, limit debate. And uh, so Southern Democrats had a great deal of power and that power was tested and overcome in terms of passing the 64 Act and the 1965 Act. So the result of that was that they made the decision to move over to the Republican Party and did so um, almost unanimously during the uh, latter part of the 1960s. So the end result was that The Democratic Party, and Johnson warned about this when he passed the civil rights legislation, said this was gonna cost the Democrats, the South for the next generation. And here we are in the 21st century and we still see that division, although it's gradually being uh, challenged by the expansion of black voting in the South. Uh, So we'll see whether the election of this year um, and the, changing um, demographics of the nation will mean that this period that uh, Linda Johnson talked about, which is now two generations, uh, is going to come to an end. I think that King was also very hopeful and he would write that this was a very promising period because Linda Johnson, after that landslide, was able to take action in the areas that King thought were was important, not simply in terms of civil rights, but he said that the problems of poverty, urban life, unemployment, education, housing, medical care, uh, were all dependent on positive and forthright action from the federal government. So that was the hopeful side, as he felt that Lyndon Johnson's great society programs would finally address that. But I think what he would also say is that unfortunately, uh, Lyndon Johnson also began to prioritize the war in Vietnam. And we'll discuss that in future episodes.
2: You listen to Mira Foster and Claiborne Carson and the World House. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to find out more, visit the Liberation Curriculum on our website at kinginstitute.stanford.edu.